0: D.C. Public Library Podcast is made possible in part by the Institute of Museum and Library Services and is a production of the Labs at D.C. Public Library. Hello and welcome to the People's Podchive, recorded in the Labs at Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library. I'm Laura Farley, Digital Curation Librarian.
1: And I'm Julie Burns,
0: Library Associate in the People's Archive. Julie, Welcome! Mm-hmm. I'm so thrilled you're joining the pod. Tell us, who are you and what do you do at the People's Archive? Well,
1: I do everything. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But really, one of the things I love about my job is that as a library associate in more of a support type role, I do get to assist with lots of different things. Um, So I do some reference work, assist with programs like house history workshops, Um, But I also do slash have done some more behind the scenes projects like processing archival collections, putting together our department's newsletter, and creating metadata for some of our digital collections. And now, though I am feeling a little nervous and intimidated, I am
0: excited to be here to help out with the podcast. So
1: thanks for having me, Laura.
0: Well, I'm so excited that you're here, Julie, and I can confirm that Julie does indeed do everything and she makes it look easy. On this episode, Julie and I are going to explore the new permanent exhibit on the fourth floor of the MLK Library, Up from the People, Protest and Change in D.C., plus book reviews and more. Up from the People, Protest and Change in D.C. is the new permanent exhibit on the fourth floor of the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library. This exhibit features two galleries and uses audio, video, images, documents, and artifacts to tell the story of the district and the people who live here. The exhibit includes materials from the People's Archive as well as from local residents and outside organizations.
1: The west side of the exhibit is titled A Revolution of Values, and it explores Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s connection to Washington, D.C. and local activism. It covers the prayer pilgrimage for freedom, the March on Washington, the civil disturbances following King's assassination in April 1968, and the Poor People's Campaign. This portion of the exhibit also highlights several individuals who were influenced and or influenced by King including politicians Julius Hobson and Walter Fauntroy, welfare rights advocate Etta Horn, and civil rights leader Nanny Helen Burroughs, an educator who founded the National Training School for Women and Girls. There's a video on a brief history of home rule in D.C. as well.
0: And Julie, what kind of items are on display in this exhibit?
1: There's so much to see. Newspaper articles, posters, photographs of historic events, archival materials like letters, flyers, and pamphlets. And there are even some objects, like Julius Hobson's calculator and Walter Fontroy's shoes that he wore at the March on Washington. And those are on loan from the George Washington University Library's Special Collections Research Center.
0: There's just something about seeing items Hobson and Fontroy actually used in their day-to-day life that connects you to them in such a personal way. Definitely.
1: Okay, so a little bit more about a revolution of values. It is not chronological, so you can sort of roam around and it can be viewed in any order. And there are a few recurring elements that you'll see throughout, such as these tactic buttons, which highlight various strategies employed by activists throughout history, and panels featuring present day artists and activists, including one of our coworker, archivist Derek Gray. There's even a section toward the back that includes items on loan from these individuals, illustrating some of the many ways that King's legacy lives on.
0: We walk past the exhibit a bunch of times every day and I'm always really happy to see people sitting and watching the videos about Dr. King, Nanny Helen Burroughs, and the fight for Home Rule. I always seem to walk by during the Nanny Helen Burroughs section when the narrator says, Who's that young woman? She's just an upstart the nanny Helen Burroughs, was just starting up. That quote always makes me feel proud to live in a place with a legacy of activism.
1: I know, that quote in particular and some of the songs always get stuck in my head.
0: So moving over to the East Gallery, the exhibit is titled DC Represented and is less thematic than A Revolution of Values. This exhibit highlights the collection strengths of the People's Archive, That means D.C. Represented draws directly from our collections and you can view them anytime in our reading room. Right away, you'll notice sections on D.C. activism, which include the Home Rule movement from the 1960s and the 1970s, which was the fight for D.C. residents to elect their own mayor and city council, the fight to keep freeways out of the heart of the district, a cause that brought together a cross-section of D.C. residents in opposition to freeway construction, and the ongoing fight for D.C. statehood today. Also
1: highlighted in the activism section is the legacy of D.C. Mayor Marion Barry, often referred to as Mayor for Life, who served as mayor from 1979 to 1991, and again from 1995 to 1999. When planning the exhibit, Designers heard over and over from the public that they had a desire to honor Marion Barry in the permanent exhibit, and this section includes photographs, documents, and oral history clips that cover a variety of perspectives on his public service. You cannot miss the giant photo of Marion Barry on horseback with a cowboy hat in front of the White House.
0: Yeah, that photo is quite spectacular, (laughs) not to be missed. (laughs) DC Represented highlights two local music-collecting initiatives at the People's Archive, the GoGo Archive, which was founded in 2012 after the passing of legendary musician Chuck Brown, and the Punk Archive, founded in 2014. This exhibit is pure energy, with large screens playing clips from shows. Quite honestly, it's hard not to wiggle and dance in this section. That I have to agree with. We actually had a class
1: in last week, and it was so fun to see the students dancing and singing along in the galleries.
0: Oh, for sure. The giant go-go and punk screens gets everybody moving. Besides video, the go-go exhibit includes photographs, audio, and posters. The punk section includes the same, but also has a wall of local zines, which are handmade publications that are Xeroxed and have a small-scale circulation. Both go-go and punk have deep roots in D.C. and tie into the greater theme of activism that threads throughout D.C. represented. Musicians and fans from both genres of music have often been advocates for social and political movements in the district, including D.C. statehood. The final section, Voices of DC, features video
1: interviews with DC residents and invites you to share your own thoughts and experiences through some interactive elements, including what they call a card catalog. Remember this? Oh, I sure do. And a digital map of the city. You'll hear snippets of interviews with individuals such as Sit Sitlali, a tenant organizer. Aristotle, a civil rights attorney, and Singh, a Lao chef and restaurant owner, all of whom touch on their relationship with and work in the D.C. community.
0: Side note, the library also has an oral history of Sang in the Asian American Voices in the Making of Washington, D.C.'s Cultural Landscape Collection, part of the D.C. Oral History Collaborative.
1: In the district catalog, as they call it, there are cards where you can answer questions like, what are your favorite places in D.C.? What do you hope for the future of D.C., and what positive steps are you taking in your community? You can also ask your own questions, share a little bit about yourself, say what makes you curious, or just explore others' responses. Have you had a chance to fill one out
0: yet, Laura? I have not filled one out, but I definitely sneak a peek at what people have to say on trips back and forth across the library. Y'all are passionate about this city, and I am here for it. Today, I saw some great restaurant recommendations.
1: The remaining portion of this section focuses on maps. There's a map with all D.C. Public Library locations, as well as a historic-based atlas from 1932, showing the location where the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library stands today. I just love looking at these old real estate atlases. Oh, and one final note. You can add a story or experience to the digital map that I mentioned earlier. So there's a lot to explore, and this piece of the exhibit serves as a reminder of all of the wonderful, varied, passionate, and curious voices of D.C. residents. So that's a lot for what at first glance might seem like a smallish
0: exhibit. Do you have a favorite item or section? Oh, that is such a tough question, Julie. But I think what draws my eye the most are the posters that appear throughout both galleries. You've got the big go-go concert posters painted with that day-glow paint, signs from demonstrations with bold statements like white man's road through black man's home, posters from organizations like the Peace Corps, My very favorite, though, is the silkscreen poster created by Lou Stovall and Lloyd McNeil in 1969 titled, Do Your Own Thing. This poster is abstract and colorful with big blocks of purple, pink, and green. It features two figures dancing, swaying their arms to music unheard. Do Your Own Thing appears in jagged, blocky type all over the poster. The abstract style and bright colors gives this poster an energy you just can't turn away from. The phrase is attributed to Tony Taylor, the owner of the Bohemian Cavern Jazz Club. So, Julie, what item is sticking with you? Oh, that's a great one. I know exactly which one you mean.
1: For me, hmm, uh, it is really hard to decide. But I think I would have to say that my favorites, or one of my favorite, is the letters from the D.C. Public Library Archives um, and these are messages that were written by D.C. residents, including some children, to the D.C. Public Library requesting that the Central Library be named for Martin Luther King Jr. The groundbreaking ceremony for the construction of the building took place in 1968. We've got a photo on Dig D.C. and it opened just a few years later in 1972. So these letters kind of help provide context for what was going on at the time and give some insight as to why our library is named in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Up from the People, Protest and Change in D.C. is now open on the fourth floor of the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library. Come visit.
0: The People's Archive is a special collection. We have both unique unpublished archival materials like manuscripts and photographs, and published materials including nonfiction and fiction books. Our book collection is non-circulating, meaning you have to come into the library to read the books and you can't take them home. The collection is split into two sections, Washingtoniana, which is a collection of local DC history books and Black Studies, which is a collection of books about the African-American experience. And get ready, we're going to do a whole episode on the Black Studies collection in February. Julie and I are going to share two books from our collection that dig deeper into the new exhibits. Julie, I can't wait to hear what you picked.
1: Yeah, so this was one that I came across recently while working with a customer I had never heard of it before, but it sounds really interesting, so I went ahead and added it to my list later that day. It's called The Washington Century, Three Families and the Shaping of the Nation's Capital by Burt Solomon. The Washington Century tells the history of D.C. in the 20th century through the lens of three different families, the Boggs family, the Catfords family, and the Hobson family, as in Julius Hobson, who's featured in the exhibit, as I mentioned earlier. He's a big name in D.C. history, and the People's Archive actually has his papers within our archival collections. But I seem to recall that there aren't that many books written about him, which surprised me. This one takes a unique approach. It's broken up into chapters based on presidential administrations, and it seems quite comprehensive. I'm looking forward to reading it. Oh, and I'll also add that even though, as Laura noted earlier, our books are reference only, there are multiple copies throughout the system if you're interested in placing one on hold.
0: That sounds excellent, Julie. A different and personal approach to history for sure. I, too, will be adding this book to my list. Great. We'll have a little book club. (laughs) What book did you choose to highlight, Laura? I chose Chocolate City, A History of Race and Democracy in the Nation's Capital by Chris Myers-Ash and George Derek Musgrove. Although only just published in 2017, this book has already become an important source in understanding the history and culture of D.C. and dives deep into the background of both galleries of the exhibit. The book takes us all the way back to 1608, when Indigenous peoples thrived on the Anacostia and Potomac Rivers and then moves us through time in chunks of about 30 years per chapter, with titles like, Our Boastings of Liberty and Equality Are Mere Mockeries, There's Gonna Be Flames, There's Gonna Be Fighting, There's Gonna Be Rebellion, and Go Home, Rich White People. DC is unique as the federal seat of government where national issues play out, but it's also a home to citizens that to this day lack full voting rights. It's a city full of contradiction, one that prizes freedom and choice while having openly participated in the enslavement and segregation of people and the limiting of voting rights. We learn about the long struggle for an equal and inclusive city and how D.C. rose to become the nation's first black-majority city. And I'm not going to lie, this book is its long. It's mm-hmm. 609 pages, but nearly 150 of those pages are notes, which tells you that this book was meticulously researched. Although it's a hefty lift, the writing is narrative and personal. Just like the Washington Century, Chocolate City is available in person at the People's Archive and throughout the D.C. Public Library system to check out.
1: Lisa may be taking a break, but we're carrying on with Collections
0: Corner. That's right. New and Dig DC is the Washington Community Video Center collection, 23 videos that capture DC in the 1970s. The Washington Community Video Center, or the WCVC, was located at 2414 18th Street Northwest in the Adams Morgan neighborhood, and was a nonprofit community video production training facility that began as a project of the Federal City College which we know today as the University of the District of Columbia. The WCBC trained community organizations and leaders to use video as a tool for education and organizing in preparation for the coming of public access television channels. The Washington Community Video Center is a media resource project serving the District of Columbia and surrounding suburban counties of Virginia and Maryland. Since we began two years ago, our program has centered on the production of videotapes and films for community groups and institutions. We emphasize training and communication skills for both laymen and professionals. We hold free weekly screenings of videotapes and films in the center's adjoining theater space. A quarterly media magazine is published for national circulation entitled The Community Video Report. In addition, we serve as media consultants and offer workshops for schools, government, and industry.
1: Public access television was created in the United States between 1969 and 1971 by the Federal Communications Commission. The WCVC was on a mission to educate Washingtonians about the importance of cable TV as a community development tool. They produced educational programs with and for community organizations like Ayuda, a Spanish language group, and the Adams Morgan organization.
0: DC's cable television franchising process was delayed repeatedly, which meant public access television was also delayed. So the WCVC got creative and gave screenings at its Adams Morgan storefront and at partner organizations' facilities. Eventually, videos were created by the WCVC that played in health clinics as a form of patient education. Find the Washington Community Video Center collection in DC now.
1: Also new in Dig DC is Transgender Histories of D.C., part of the D.C. Oral History Collaborative. This is our first oral history collection to focus entirely on the transgender experience in D.C. and includes eight interviews that document the events of final decades of the 20th century and the first few of the 21st through the eyes of transgender elders, mostly black women. And that's our show. My very first one. I hope I didn't mess it up too much. Join us next time to take another peek behind the scenes in the People's Archive. Until then, get vaccinated. If you haven't already wear a mask where it's required and come see us on the fourth floor of the Martin Luther King jr. Memorial
0: library. This episode was written by Julian me. Sound engineering was provided by Robert LaRose of the labs and Siobhan Hagen of the memory lab network music in this episode came from the Washington Community Video Center collection. Check our show notes for links to copies of The Washington Century and Chocolate City, and links to all the collections mentioned during this episode.
1: You can find us on Facebook at the People's Archive at DC Public Library, and if you have a question, feel free to email us at peoples.archive at dc.gov, or stop by the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library and say hello we're open Monday through Thursday, 12 to 7, and Friday through Saturday, 10 to 6. Until next time, see you in the stacks.
0: You just tuned in to the DC Public Library Podcast. Listen and subscribe at DClibrary.org slash podcast or wherever podcasts are available. Send us your comments at DCPL on Twitter or follow us at DC Public Library on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening.